All right. Good morning. Welcome back. Uh, I hope everybody's all right. Uh, today, we're going to conclude the chapters reading of Tao Te Ching from Arthur Whaley and D.C. Lao translations. Uh, chapter 79, 80, 81 ends uh, the 81 chapters of Tao Te Ching. And after we go through 81, I actually want to pull back and read um, 1 and 2 again and show you how, in many ways, the end or the last chapter links nicely to the first chapter, which is very similar to the I Ching, where a hexagram 64, the last of the 64, <clears throat> um, is called before completion, not after completion, because the end is... Um, a new beginning or the start of a new phase so an end is not only an end of what came before or what's current now but it's the inception or initiation or um, first uh, step in a new phase of a journey or um, experience so uh, let's just jump right in. Uh, <clears throat> there are a couple of strange terms in chapter 79. Uh, and so first I'll read Arthur Whaley, then I'll read D.C. Lau, and then comment on the two together. So chapter 79, Tao Te Ching, starts with a something in parentheses in the Whaley translation. Chapter 79. Two in parentheses, to requite injuries with good deeds. End parentheses. To allay, <clears throat> meaning to 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 resolve or um, put to rest. <laughs> to allay the main discontent, but only in a manner that will certainly produce further discontents can hardly be called successful. Therefore, the sage behaves like the holder of the left-hand tally, who stays where he is and does not go round making claims on people. This is something about court accounting, or the, the treasury of the court. For he who has the power of Tao, or Dauda, is the great almoner. He who has not the de, meaning the power of Tao, is the Grand Perquisitor. <clears throat> Quote, It is heaven's way, without distinction of persons, to keep the good perpetually supplied. And so we're talking about taking and giving, or giving and taking. The left-hand tally, the right-hand tally, the Grand Almoner, the Grand Perquisitor, two terms that are... Um, indicative, I mean, they go back to ancient Chinese court ritual, I assume, and uh, affairs of state regarding money and the treasury. <clears throat> the almoner is the one who gives alms, A-L-M-S. It's a, Actually, there's a Freemasonic position called the Grand Almoner. <laughs> it means the one who dispenses money, or the one who gives out. And the uh, <clears throat> The other title, Grand Perquisitor, makes um, demands or requests or is like a taxman. 
So it's heaven's way, without distinction of persons, to keep the good perpetually supplied. So this chapter is all about um, the, the Taoist sage or ruler <clears throat> in harmony with Tao, and therefore um, accessing Tao De or power uh, to be the one that uh, gives appropriately. So let, let's look at our DC Lao 79 and then put them together. <clears throat> when peace is made between great empires or between great enemies, some enmity is bound to remain undispelled. How can this be considered perfect? Therefore, the sage takes the left-hand tally, but exacts no payment from the people. The man of virtue takes charge of the tally. The man of no virtue takes charge of extraction. It is the way of heaven to show no favoritism. It is forever on the side of the good man. <clears throat> this is a, a little bit more readable translation than Arthur Whaley for 79. Uh, the first point is that the way of heaven or Dalda or good fortune, because <laughs> let's just take it out of Chinese uh, esoteric terminology. Um, alms, almoner, and perquisitor is not important. What's important is one dispenses and one demands. One gives, one takes. And there is something called uh, God <laughs> or universal law or uh, causality and we want to uh, make good decisions and so <clears throat> there's a big difference between giving and taking there's a big difference between um, f acting that makes further trouble and acting where no further trouble occurs and so at the top uh, we're seeing uh, the, the 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 title that Whaley put in parentheses to requite injuries with good deeds turn the other cheek uh, love your enemies very similar uh, injuries are received the response is good deeds well <laughs> obviously there's some limits to how realistic that should be applied meaning <laughs> there are lots of people that are not a lot, but there are some people that are committed to doing harm and taking and manipulating and hurting uh, to just do good for them. To do good for them really <laughs> means to give them what they want, no? How can you do good for them when they're not happy? Well, if you do good for them and make them happy, they'll probably take more from you because your giving to them doesn't turn them uh, towards virtue. So it's a little silly. Um, turn the other cheek. I mean, Jesus, when he went to the money changers in the temple, didn't turn the other cheek, right? So, he didn't love his enemies, or was that love? Okay, well, you can say that righteous anger is a form of love. Okay, well, that's not quite the same as requiting injuries with good deeds. Um, they're good, but the other person doesn't like it because it comes out harsh, or um, they don't consider it good. So, what's good, what's bad, is a little bit more subtle. And uh, in this world, um, 
you know, Raw talked about in Fourth Density, um, it's positively oriented to defend the beloved. That means by force of arms or attack or defense, attack and defense in response to attack on the uh, an attack on the beloved or something, which is the sort of normal way people think. Well, I want to get revenge, or I won't let you hurt my loved ones. That seems pretty reasonable. <laughs> um, and um, the way I mean, all I can say is that the discernment of proper response to evil or harm or injury or injustice. The proper response uh, evolves as a soul grows in discernment and love. So what right what, what he's doing may be right. What I'm doing, which is the opposite, may be right for me too. Something like that. So it's a little bit more subtle. Right action um, to some degree, certainly dealing with negativity um is is quite the determination of right action is more subtle and uh, anybody who says you should always do this or you should never do that i think um doesn't have a very subtle discernment because situations are unique and um what he can do well i may not be able to do well because he's more evolved than me or um, I'm not the way I used to be, therefore my response um, sh- won't, can't be as it used to be, whatever that means. <laughs> so this is trying to, you know, all this philosophy is saying this is the right way, this is a good way, that's a bad way, don't do that. Uh, the details of situations are really subtle. So... But no doubt, <laughs> to take care of a problem um, that leads to further problems is not so successful. On the other hand, it's sometimes impossible to resolve one problem without subsidiary additional issues arising. And that may be part of the karmic learning or karmic pro- the. the spiritual learning and the karmic process. So I'm sorry it's all very detailed here, but if you want wisdom, it's it's a rather lonely or a rather subtle matter. So uh, it's not ideal <laughs> to resolve a problem and leave multiple additional problems. Sometimes that's the only, that's the best way. There's no easy way. Or there, no, there's no easy way, but there's no um, clean resolution. Choice. The only choices I can see, both are problematic in that further discontent uh, is produced. Uh, if peace is made between great enemies, enmity is bound to remain undispelled, meaning there's some anger even at the peace treaty. How can that be considered perfect? It isn't perfect. 3D isn't perfect. 3D physical is not perfect. 3D astral is not perfect, if you haven't noticed. So, this is not the realm of perfect. <laughs> this is the Kamaloka. Kamaloka means the realm of desire, according to Gautama Buddhism. And it's very much associated with um, continual arising of dissatisfaction and desire. That's why it's the desire realm. It's the response to continual dissatisfaction. That doesn't mean everything is terrible, it's all dukkha. It is all dukkha, but there's sukkha dukkha. 
meaning there's uh, some real happiness, and it's impermanent, and it's empty, and insubstantial, and that leads to some discontent, and that leads to further desire generating. Okay? So, <laughs> to allay, in, in 3D physical, um, resolving problems or allaying a major discontent almost always generates uh, outcomes that include further discontent and further issues to be addressed later. So, <clears throat> but in the face of that, knowing that the best solution um, makes, th produces the fewest additional problems, uh, knowing that, <laughs> and that maybe that's impossible to make outcomes that have none, no problem, ever, uh, the sage chooses to be the one that gives, not the one that takes. These are, here at the end of Tao Te Ching, we have some critical teachings uh, that, that actually sum up the Taoist uh, approach, Taoist moral philosophy. It's this ethical philosophy, ethical spiritual ethics, or Taoist ethics. Taoism is hugely ethical, telling us about moral behavior. And moral behavior, not because immoral is sin, or God is going to punish you. But it's the way of yin-yang. It's the operation of Tao or Tao Te in creation that certain activities lead to certain outcomes, certain states of mind, certain activities, certain ways of being, certain uh, types of intention, certain intention. Basically, serves the self. <laughs> Selfish, taking, demanding, controlling, manipulating, dishonest, all that Buddhism is called wrong, wrong livelihood, wrong speech, wrong action. All those things that they call wrong are wrong, so-called, because they lead to your harm, or our harm. <clears throat> That's all. And the Taoist knows that too. So Buddhism is profoundly moralistic or, or ethical in its teaching. So is Taoism. It's all about moral, moral guidance based on their analysis of ontology, or the nature of being and creation and existence. So knowing that uh, a win-lose is a lose, and perhaps knowing that any win includes some further problems or won't be ideal, the sage knowing the law of yin-yang, or that uh, everything high comes down and everything low builds up and grows. I mean, that, that there's a phase, right? Even nuclear wasteland after millennia um, has some green sprouts and little creatures that are uh, resistant, right? The little uh, strange creatures that are resistant to radiation. Uh, they'll grow and uh, eat each other and grow up and things will start up again. But <clears throat> Given all that, the sage chooses to be the one that doesn't exact, that doesn't demand, but offers. And that's the point. The the heaven, as Lao said, it's the way of heaven to show no favoritism. There's no, um, it ain't a personal matter. It's just business. It's just the law. Creation is just a lawful matter. Phenomenal display or uh, appearance 
uh, birth arising, you know, birth and arising, uh, persistence, uh, age, old age, sickness and death. Uh, all that arises, how long uh, its form or nature or qualities that arise and persist, how long that is, what it does, its function, its uh, aged or de decay phase, and its passing away, uh, <clears throat> all that is lawful. And if you want happiness and well-being, um, there are certain certain ways of being and activities or conditions of mind uh, and thought and word and deed that lead to uh, continual uh, that, that you know are good seeds leading to good fruit um, seeds in mind in thought in perspective in values and attitudes and therefore also in speech and in action all of that <clears throat> that's called right right action right view or right action coming out of right view with right speech right behavior right livelihood all that is right because it leads to positive uh, consequences supportive helpful benevolent beneficent good comfortable pleasant circumstances that's the point <clears throat> if you want if you want happiness you got to know the root the, the causal basis of it if you want health you have to know the causal basis of it it's very simple if you want to be healthy you've got to do the things that make a body healthy if you want to be wealthy you got to do the things or some in your own way that which can lead to wealth too that's it cause and effect and so because heaven is on the side of the good man heaven is not showing favoritism it's on the side of the good man because um, giving because what goes out comes back <clears throat> because um, body mind spirit is a seeding the conditions of body mind spirit or the conditions of thought word and deed what we think and speak and how we do these are seedings this is seeding this is causal seeding that leads to consequences and effects and results <clears throat> by law without favoritism and it's you know, you know why do why do bad things happen to good people those humans keep wondering it's not fair well sure if you only see one lifetime <clears throat> and you think that you're just a, a made of meat you're a meat man you're a what did this some fellow who refuted <laughs> some fellow I was alerted <clears throat> there's somebody on the internet who claims to debunk the raw material hey hey what a great important feature and function uh, and <clears throat> he says something like you're just human monkeys telling stories weird we 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 which he really should just speak for himself but you know <laughs> humans don't like to speak for themselves so they speak for us all uh, presumably presuming and he says oh we're you're just uh we're all just uh, <clears throat> uh human monkeys telling stories wow what a clever phrase so uh, believing himself to be a clever monkey telling a story uh his story is that the raw material is a fakery 
uh, <clears throat> heaven allows him to be that way. That being that way, which is atheistic nihilism, <laughs> materialism, annihilationist, he's just another annihilationist, um, that will have certain consequences. Fine. Uh, and uh, the the laws are as they are, and uh, the purpose of spiritual study is to more and more conform our view to reality, so that we more and more develop right view. Um, right view is particularly um, uh, in right view <laughs> understanding uh, phenomena or causality or consequentiality meaning how things come to be cause and effect is really really important and so the Taoist wishes to be a, a good person or do they what they call good because they know that the the what 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 the way the so-called good man or good person lives in terms of their view in terms of their decisions and their values in their intentions and their speech and their activity um represents um a positive seeding for their own future and so um the sage uh, extracts no payment from people because he understands that demanding um, results in loss and giving results in gain. And so Gautama saying that the root of wealth, karmic, the karmic root of wealth is generosity. Um, the karmic root of beauty is right speech and loving, loving heart speech. The karmic result, the karmic cause or seed of um, honor and social position that's widely respected by good people is um, significant generosity or significant um, uh, righteous responsibility taken for the welfare of others. Uh, the person who um, reasonably takes on responsibility to not hurt anyone <laughs> They restrain themselves. They become a safe mind, become a safe person, a person that you can trust. Why can you trust them? Because it's more important to them that they don't hurt you than it is to you. Meaning, it's more important to me that I don't make trouble than it is for you that I don't make trouble. <laughs> I hold myself to a standard, whether you like it or not, whether you uh, are harmed or not, I hold myself to this standard of harmlessness because it's right for me. I don't need you to protect yourself. <laughs> I'm going to protect myself from doing any harm uh, because it's bad for me, because I know the law. And so, the man of no virtue, no duh, right? Vouch virtue, thou duh. The man without duh takes charge of extraction. He's the grand perquisitor, like inquisitor, or ra the one who takes uh, and uh, basically lays claim or um, demands. And so, taking as the basis of poverty, giving as the basis of abundance and wealth. 
That that's the law. Meanwhile, there's wise giving and unwise giving, and there's wise. Um, there is wise taking. <laughs> there's wise requesting also. Um, it depends on what you're where you're coming from, right? If you're really a sage who has no interest in any close relationship, uh, getting anything from any close relationship or having any person that we want to get take from, then um, just being uh, giving or, or <laughs> being so detached may be quite helpful. But most people are not like that. So anyway, this is an un- th- this is approaching the last chapter 81 and uh, the, the way of heaven that is impersonal um, is being reiterated and that again goodness uh, is very much associated um, with uh, being being a representative of, of heaven or Tao and Tao, the, uh, the, the mandate of heaven, so-called, given to kings, divine right of kings, uh, at best, <laughs> perhaps ideally only, maybe not much in practice ever, uh, is associated with the king or the ruler who wishes to um, further heaven's aims, support heaven's goals. What are heaven's goals? Well, um well-being and uh, peace and plenty and harmony and opportunity for self-development of all people in the nation maybe something like that seek and become one Um, freedom and harmlessness to continue developing themselves as they wish and help to learn virtue and continue seven-ray mind-body-spirit development that's heaven's goal heaven's aim I'd say and so supporting that um, makes us a companion of heaven, as Taoists uh, say. Chapter 80, Arthur Whaley. Given a small country with few inhabitants, he could bring it about that, though there should be among the people contrivances, contrivances requiring ten times, a hundred times less labor, they would not use them. This is a very interesting, very, very uh, particular type of Taoist approach to technology and um, work and society. He could bring it about that the people would be ready to lay down their lives and lay them down again in defense of their homes rather than emigrate. There might still be boats and carriage, but no one would go in them. There might still be weapons of war, but no one would drill with them meaning exercises, he could bring it about that, quote, the people should have no use for any form of writing, save knotted ropes, should be contented with their food, pleased with their clothing, satisfied with their homes, should take pleasure in their rustic tasks, meaning a a world of villagers. The next place might be so near at hand that one could hear the cocks crowing in it the dogs barking, but the people would grow old and die without ever having been there. So this is sort of um, uh, 
commonly understood as um, Taoist um, uh, ideal <laughs> uh, arrested social development. <laughs> the Taoist ideal of the happy villagers who don't care about writing, don't care about learning, uh, all they want is to keep uh, living very simple lives in the village and going nowhere. Well, <laughs> that might be good for some people. Um, it's certainly in a world of a certain consciousness, maybe 2,500 years ago in China, um, that might have been a workable ideal, an ideal, philosophical ideal that is feasible, reasonable, possible, doable, um, achievable in some places with some people based on their consciousness and the culture they grew up in. Um, it doesn't work very well now in the sense that people rightly want to explore more of what there is or what can be or who they are and um, the mental complex in short the human mental complex here at the end of third density is quite a bit different than it was uh, a few thousand years ago which is not that long at all it's really what's what's really interesting is that humanity in this as an aside in this three thousand in this seventy five thousand year three d cycle Ross talking about seventy five thousand years as the standard length of three d um, planetary cycles uh, mm, technology is uh, a relatively late development late not only for us today here at presumably the end of three point seven or at the end of third density but two thousand but but in Atlantis as well. Atlantis, presumably going down 11,000 years ago, means that um, out of the 75,000-year cycle, uh, humanity didn't really develop technology much until 60,000 years had passed. 60,000 years having passed equals 15,000 years ago or so. 15,000 years ago or so, we're talking about uh, Atlantis going from agrarian to technological. So... It took this 3D group 60,000 years to be given or natively develop technologies, uh, more advanced technologies. Uh, I don't know if that's normal, frankly. Now, that might be indicative, it might be normal for, for uh, uh, initial or primary 3D cycles on planets, meaning this is the first time that planet Earth had a 3D cycle with human beings on this world. I think that's probably the case. So, but um, it's just an interesting point that for 60,000 years or so, um, humans on Earth in this 3D cycle may do without much technology. Was there some golden age when everybody was happy? I don't think so. No, sorry. But um, unfortunately, or fortunately, <laughs> for better or worse, a uh, human mind at the end of their density is far more intellectually developed or functionally capable than uh, 15,000 or 15,000 years ago and more. Therefore, it seems to be uh, inevitable that technology is a major portion of life, just given the, the n inevitable development of uh, intellect, mind complex in the collective uh, towards the end of a 3D cycle. 
so but but <laughs> we can apply this rather than uh, talking about the sage and the, uh, the the ruler of the nation we can talk about this as um, us and oneself or the application of this teaching to the individual not to the ruler and the collective but to the individual it's really about um, <clears throat> um, contentment and um, the slow-tech life, <laughs> the slow life, uh, low-tech, uh, slow pace, uh, simplicity, contentment. And, and again, you know, one, each person has to negotiate their desires, negotiate with their desires. And there, there's uh, desire. All desires are appropriate for the entity at the right time, or they fall away naturally over time. If people keep seeking love, light, or honest with themselves, and uh, accept the truth that um, although uh, you know a distillation of the experience of <laughs> fulfilling a desire, after I have this desire, what happens now, or how was it for me? Uh, after these desires uh, were fulfilled or I attempted to get them, secure the object of my desire. Well, there's some positive uh, and some negative. <laughs> and so then it's a continual assessment, naturally, over time, of um, the quality of the consequences of my decisions to follow my desires because I mean why are we deciding it's a decision based on the on desire I want it I don't want it uh, I think I should or I think I shouldn't that's all so it's all about desire and then um, we evolve the, the, the soul that um, carefully looks into the consequences of decision, of, of uh, our choices and the way we live. The one who carefully looks into the consequences, how am I doing? How do I feel? How is it now for me? How is this here on the other side of my activity that I laid down here to fulfill certain desires or do something or get something or push something away or change something? How is it now for me? How is it here now? And when the person's honest in that, you'll see there's some gain and some loss, there's some plus and some minus, there's some support and some further trouble, uh, further discontent as well. Uh, and then over time one can continue refining desires uh, to minimize <laughs> uh, harmful consequences and maximize um, consequences that are supportive for further well-being, which includes uh, how we are with others. Over time, yes, actually, that would lead to deeper contentment. Over time, yes, um, people can be, people would be more content with all that's in front of them. Food, clothing, home, and your daily tasks. Pleasure in their rustic tasks. And so, uh, contentment uh, uh, as an ideal, as um, 
as a form of equanimity of mind, as the fourth Brahma Vihara, is a big deal, actually. And you really can't get to contentment uh, or equanimity. It's uh, upekka. Upekka as the fourth Brahma Vihara in Buddhism. The fourth, um, I would say, um, immeasurable green ray manifestation being um, real peaceful heart, secure mind, safe mind, stable well-being, settled heart, a peaceful heart, a settled heart, um, much, <laughs> a, a whole lot of uh, life reorganization and distillation of right desire um, must precede that, or is always necessary before real equanimity or contentment is possible. So, uh, D.C. Lao, chapter 80. Reduce the size of the population and the state. Ensure that even though the people have tools of war for a troop or a battalion, that they will not use them. And also that they, they will be reluctant to move to distant places because they look on death as no light matter. Even when they have ships and carts, they will have no use for them. And even when they have armor and weapons, they will have no occasion to make a show of them. Bring it about that the people will return to the use of the knotted rope, will find relish in their food and beauty in their clothes, will be content in their abode and happy in the way they live, like the hobbits, of course, in the Shire. Though adjoining sites, adjoining states are within sight of one another, and the sound of dogs barking and cocks crowing in one state can be heard in another, yet the people of one state will grow old and die without having had any dealings with those of another. Meaning, they're so well, they don't need to go over there to see what's going on, or, you know, have a... They don't, they're not missing, they're not lacking anything. <clears throat> and so, of course, desire arises from perceived deficiency. Of course, desire is, arises from a sense of inadequacy. Of course. So, <laughs> Kamaloka, as the realm of continually arising desire, uh, is the realm of continually experienced dissatisfaction and inadequacy and insufficiency and... <laughs> There must be a problem here, because that's, that's the basis for continually arising desire. Nothing wrong with desire. Desire will, you know, desire leads us on. The right use of will is the, is the value, the, the nature of desire, or the nature of desire rightly used on spiritual path is a right use of will. And um, desire brings us to heaven or hell. <laughs> all the beings in heaven and all the beings in hell, all those in higher dimensions and all those in the lower zones are there because of desire. Desire is not the problem. It's a matter of the right direction of will or um, right orientation, which is um, desires directed towards that which brings well-being. Hey, hey. The right uh, desires becoming um, good seeds the right seeding by desire, or desire becoming a proper seeding. 
a seeding with good seed or seeds that will lead to good fruit or crop or harvest or gain or development. That's all. <laughs> Desire is not the problem. It's the ultimately the the set of values in mind and um, a degree of wisdom um, in the determination of uh, desire of, of of that would uh, of the desires a person will act upon. Right. So it's the mind or the thought or the view in mind with one's values with the sense of what one values and considers better and worse that leads to the speech and the behavior uh, associated with seek, you know, seeking to fulfill a desire. So, in this case, <laughs> it's uh, the village uh, as, a represent- as a manifestation of the mind of the sage. The mind of the sage, the mind of one in equanimity, real deep equanimity, um, is quite happy with what is. What is, is um, appreciated. And that can go all the way to the consecrate or hallowed nature of everyday things, as Ra would say. Ra said, the consecrate and hallowed nature of, of everyday you know, life or everyday uh, phenomena. That's akin to seventh chakra activation. Yeah, it is, actually. Sixth and seventh chakra activation is um, sacred world. All is sacred world. All is sparkling light. God sparkling light and form. Divine sparkling, beautiful colored um, and formed light. Um, God's house is everywhere. This is God's house. (laughs) This is the house of the divine. Everywhere. And so that's akin to, that, that comes with six, seven chakra activations and contact with intelligent infinity as well. And that's a heavy basis for equanimity <laughs> and contentment. Equanimity, a better word for contentment is equanimity, I think, because it's the mental state that we character, that, that is the basis of what's characterized as, as contentment. He's content. Um, <clears throat> I have stuff, but um, I don't need to get more. And that's why the Taoist or the Buddhist, <laughs> or the person who's well-developed in green, blue, indigo, right? The the successful Buddhist and Taoist, the Taoist sage and the Buddhist practitioner, at best, is simply is simply one who's developed green, blue, indigo, particularly green, blue, indigo, uh, fourth and fifth and sixth chakras, uh, in the self-training of that particular tradition, Buddhism, Hinduism, or whatever. So, um, this is a a depiction of uh, collective contentment, and um, it's really much more applicable to to oneself, (laughs) to the individual developing contentment. Now, let's jump through and get to the last chapter, 81. Tao De Ching, very, <laughs> very um, cool at the end here, very nicely, e- easy for these guys to translate to, very straightforward um, character sequence, meaning uh, the words or the meaning uh, of this chapter. Uh, Arthur Whaley, Tao De Ching, chapter 81.
true words are not fine sounding, fine sounding words are not true. The good man does not prove by argument. The one or he who proves by argument is not good. True wisdom is different from much learning. Much learning means little wisdom. The sage has no need to hoard. When his own last scrap has been used up on behalf of others, lo means look, he has more than before. When his own last scrap has been used up in giving to other, lo, his stock is even greater than before. For heaven's way is to sharpen without cutting, and the sage's way is to act without striving. That act without striving is not actually wu wei. It's actually bu zheng. Bu zheng is uh, no struggle. And so that's a <laughs> an alternate phrase that actually explains wu wei, which is bu zheng. Zheng is struggle fight. No bu uh, bu hao. Not good. So not struggle fight. No struggling and no fighting. That's really the basis of um, wu wei, the way, the lifestyle, the life, the the, mean, the the way of living a life by or via wu wei. No interference or no action, unnecessary action. The the basis of it is no struggle, no fight, no woman, no fight, uh, and meaning no woman, no cry, and um, that's ultimately the basis of contentment. And so, the more contentment, the less interest in struggling and fighting. The, le- the, the more we try the way of no fighting, no struggling, acceptance, let it be, um, the, may, the more we may find contentment. But, you know, action is important at the right time. Firm decision and uh, uh, abrupt action may be necessary in crisis, of course. So, D.C. Lao, chapter 81. Truthful words are not beautiful. Beautiful words are not truthful. Good words are not persuasive. Persuasive words are not good. He who knows has no wide learning. He who has wide learning does not know. The sage does not hoard. Having bestowed all he has on others, he has yet more. Having given all he has to others... He is richer still. The way of heaven benefits and does not harm. The way of the sage is bountiful and does not contend. It's a very nice translation from Lao to say does not contend. Don't fight, don't struggle is zheng, struggle, fight. Don't fight, don't struggle. No fighting, no struggling. It's a form of, it's it's not contending. And um, it's a sophisticated word, <laughs> in my view, um, the word contend. If we look at Mr. Wiktionary, who is a friend sometimes, it comes from uh, contendere, candere, from Latin, contendere, contendere, to stretch out, to extend, to strive, uh, com. Com, so the con, C-O-N, came originally from a com, C-O-M, like with, together. Com means together. Tendere, or stretch. 
it's about um, no stretching. <laughs> don't stretch. Don't don't stretch. Don't don't stretch it, man. Don't don't get don't get stretched out. That 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 would be a very uh, good urban slang phrase for the future. Like, chill out. Uh, another f- term term for chill out is don't stretch it, man. That's very only very cool people would say that. I would think. So the way of the sage is bountiful. Does not contend. Does not fight. Does not struggle. Does not strive. I mean, absolutely, one needs to make hard action sometimes. But aside from that. <laughs> Um, the way of sa- of the sage uh, seeks to be in harmony with the way of heaven. The way of heaven is is uh, heavenly Tao. The sage uh, life is his Tao or his way. So the life of the sage is his um, his uh, attempt ultimately to be in harmony with the laws of creation and that which is beneficial and the, the you know what's in the highest and best good for all as they say what's in the highest and best good for all obviously is green blue indigo obviously it's higher chakra activation and balance obviously it's on the positive path or positive polarization and so um, heaven is bountiful the way of the sage is bountiful not um, niggardly. Niggardly is not the bad N-word, by the way. It actually means just very cheap. And it has nothing to do with the slur word. It just means very cheap. So the way of heaven is the model for the way of the sage. The way of heaven gives to all, doesn't harm any, takes nothing, offers all. The the way of the sage, um, the Daoren path, is also bountiful, doesn't contend, isn't stretched here and there, is not triggered, is not triggerable, <laughs> is not blown hilly, willy-nilly in the places of willy, the hilly places of willy-nilly by the eight worldly winds, which are actually um, uh, quite, quite strong <laughs> these days, because the worldly is stronger these days. Uh, meaning what comes to us from what comes up in body what comes to us from the environment situationally and in relationship um, maybe pleasant unpleasant maybe I love it I hate it maybe what's called good or bad or preferable non-preferred uh, the gusts are strong and it's very important both you know people lose their head by fame <laughs> and they lose their mind by fame and success, then they really get co-opted and become sell-out, sell-out wannabes. Uh, so <clears throat> uh, don't don't get co-opted by um, favorable worldly winds, and don't um, don't get broken down. Don't beat yourself down. Don't let yourself fall down and stay down when there's a harsh worldly wind. So, but the heart of this uh, final chapter, which is really a lovely way to end the book, uh, is in the first section. Yeah, (laughs) truthful words are not beautiful. Some of them are, but commonly, truth um, is the 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 truth that is um, uh, 
needed is often the truth that is bitter. <laughs> because the truth that is needed is needed because it hasn't been provided. Ooh. It's needed because it isn't present yet. Or hasn't hasn't made its entry. Hasn't been factored in. Hasn't entered the equation. Ha- isn't in play. It's needed because it's not in play. And it just so happens to be important to develop, to move the system along, or to help the system and move the process, right? Help the system and uh, and support uh, the process of systemic growth, develop of the system. The system may be a relationship. It may be your health. It may be your mind, the mind system, the body system, the relationship system, the family system, the company, the business. what is helpful uh, may not sound nice, <laughs> but certainly the truth that's needed um, is itself independent of how it um, how it appears in the sense of um, pleasant unpleasant. Whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter actually. And when you really when a, when a soul grows up, they realize that personal sentiment is less important than universal truth. Personal sentiment is, you know, worthy of respect and honor. Okay, I feel this way. Sure, I feel this way. Fine, you feel this way. Now what? Now what? You feel this way. Okay, you feel this way. So? (laughs) Now what? You should pop, pop, pop. This or that. Do this, don't do that. Well, that's nice that you'd like me to do this or that or tell me to not do this or whatever. Let's say it's a relationship and somebody's saying, this is my feeling. The question is, are, is it true? <laughs> your your, um, your pers- pers- persuasive words telling me how much you hurt me, telling me how bad you think I am, telling me how bad you think I, uh, I, I did in, in that activity or something, let's say, as an example. Those words um, may be persuasive. Are they true or not? They're not beautiful. That doesn't mean they're false. They're beautiful. That doesn't mean they're true. So, there are beautiful words that are truthful. There are beautiful words that are not. There are truthful words that are beautiful. There are truthful words that are not. So, okay. (laughs) But just because it's beautiful doesn't mean it's true. And just because it's true doesn't mean it's beautiful. So there's lots and lots of bitter truth, particularly, I mean, in general, (laughs) anybody can handle pleasant, happy truth. I mean, why do you think people go to fortune tellers? They want to hear a good good forecast. Tell me something good. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Don't tell me something good. Tell me something true. You can tell me something good. But it may be, and it may be good because it's beautiful. And it may be false. (laughs) So, I mean, true and false is basically um, the axis of functionality. It it pertains to functionality. This is a little secret. And I talked about this a little yesterday in, um, you know, I'm just talking to myself, right? I'm just talking to my Panasonic fan and the Binlon trees out my window. That's mainly who I'm talking to. if there's anybody else around, it's good. Uh, hopefully you enjoy it. <clears throat> what I was talking about is um, 
um, truth uh, and deception or truth and falsehood from a non-dual perspective a non-dual a non-dual view of truth versus falsity falsehood if in non-duality <laughs> so they say um, form is emptiness and emptiness is form and uh, words are empty um, naming activity is illusory samskara um, there is no substantiality in mental fabrication thought, image, imagination view, there's no truth in view it's only relative truth, there's relative truth absolute truth, the two views, the two truths in Buddhism, majamaka between affirmation and negation reality is neither uh, captured by conceptual affirmation it is nor is it captured or understood fully by negation. It isn't. It isn't presumes there's a something that isn't. It is presumes that what is affirmed has substantiality. All that is not the case. So from a non-dual perspective, there is no truth and falsehood. Yes, okay, fine. But actually, in terms of functional uh, functionality, uh, truth supports seven-ray activation and balance, supports continued polarization on our path, and falsehood doesn't. Boom. So, if you want what's true, it's that which uh, continues seven-ray development on our chosen path. And, uh, therefore, truth is simply considered true. What's considered true is so-called true by virtue of its functional uh, value, by its function, its valuable, its valued functionality, its valuable function, which is that it supports development of mind, body, spirit. <laughs> it supports non-distortion. It supports healing. It supports clearance of lower triad blockage, activation of green, blue, indigo, and balance. It supports all that. It supports wisdom. It supports discernment. It supports love and uh, harmony and care, that's what it supports. That's why it's called true. Even though it's empty and illusory and, and insu insubstantial, essentially. But, <clears throat> so to think that all that's true sounds fine is um, a very low development of mind. Much truth is um, hated. <laughs> Obviously in this world of, of chronic lying and... Uh, <laughs> Prof yeah, the paucity of honesty, as Ra said. I mean, the vast sinkhole of indifference or the distortions that uh, the, the... What? The ocean of distortions? I actually forgot the Ra's term. Um, the profound deception <laughs> from human leadership, profound dishonesty, and self-deception. I mean, the dishonesty of human leadership is supported by the the dishonesty of human leadership is is supported by the self-deception of ordinary folks. Ordinary folks who have no political, social power, economic power, are profoundly avoidant of all sorts of important truths because they don't... they feel bitter. So, um, they're, what's beautiful may well be beautiful, and it may be a, a fantasy and false. And what's truthful and important and critical may be very painful to 
to behold. Likewise, what we call good, so there's truth and beauty, and there's goodness and persuasion. Um, so truth and beauty may be together, they may not be. And then goodness and persuasion as well. Um, what we what what the Taoist here is saying is a good word or good is not about control. <laughs> There's no compulsion. So the preacher who wants you to do this, that, the other thing, um, the words may be beautiful. There may be some truth there, but there's persuasion. Persuasion is compel compellence, compulsion, compelling, which is a form of control. It's basically control. <laughs> so, he who pro and then there's also so there's persuasion to make the listener act. And um, he says persuasive words are not good. <laughs> yeah, meaning words that um, demand compliance, demand behavioral compliance of the listeners, um, that's not good. That's called control. That's service to self. Now, you know, there are many cases to this. So there's dealing with children and there's dealing with people who uh, need something hard like a, a, a more aggressive speech. I mean, sometimes that's very, you know, it's important to be persuasive, absolutely. If um, what's, uh, if the object of persuasion truly, deeply is of benefit to uh, the, the party being persuaded. But you better be pretty clear. Uh, otherwise, the road, you're on that same road to hell, the one that's paved with good intentions. I'm only doing this for your own good. I'm only trying to persuade you because I know it's better for you. Are you sure it's better? Are you sure you are just a, a human monkey making a story? Bro, are you a human monkey? Speak for yourself. You're sure you're a human monkey. Cool. I'm not sure I am. I don't think I am, but I guess you are. It's cool with me. Not a problem. So, but on the top, or Whaley's translation, um, he who proves by argument is not good. Um, and so, the good man doesn't prove by argument. Um, goodness is not about proving. This is a really deep matter, too. And, you know, <laughs> in uh, Breaking with Tradition, I think that I'm going to keep this <clears throat> I'm going to next I'm going to not try to conclude chapter 81 this week but uh, lay it out uh, and next week integrate it with chapters 1 and 2 which is an interesting way of putting it together it's a wrapping around wrapping the end uh, so that it meets the beginning uh, at the pure vertical position we have zero 360 and so coming to the end 81 uh, we're linked to number one and number two uh, because this is actually I mean I want to let myself speak freely on this without time constraint um, it's a very it's really a very important chapter 81 because we're really talking about what is true what is beauty? We're talking about truth, 
and beauty and goodness. Truth, beauty, and goodness. And then how one lives one's life relationally. Truth, the essential principles of truth and goodness and beauty. And how it relates to compunction or um, how it how the true the true and the good and the beautiful hey hey it's the true and the good and the beautiful which is critical true fifth ray uh, good fourth ray beautiful sixth ray ho ho and so the true and the good and the beautiful the good and the true and the beautiful good four true five beautiful six right so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost <laughs> yeah they're related and so, um, the power and the kingdom and the glory. Yup. Back to Trinitarianism. Back to uh, the primary metaphysical tri tri triad, or trinity, which is <laughs> will and love and light. Or Father, Son, and uh, Spirit, Numa, the Holy Ghost. I like that phrase, Holy Ghost. It reminds me of Casper. Casper, the Holy Ghost, is Numa the pneumatic, pneuma uh, spirit, prana, pneuma, prana. Think they're not related? I bet they are. So, the Sanskrit prana, meaning um, essential um, core ener energy, uh, essential energetic, essential uh, divine universal energy, and uh, then from Greek is pneuma, like the pneumatic and um, that's um, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. Spirit is Numa. So spirit is another word for prana, actually. So uh, the true, the good and the true and the beautiful is a way of talking about fourth and fifth and sixth ray. And then 81 chapter also talks about an, 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 one essential dynamic of relationship which is uh, giving-taking, or giving versus getting. And then, <laughs> 81, basically makes the final, I mean, I'm not really sure that this was written as the final chapter, meaning Tao Te Ching is a fragmentary document that was reassembled to some degree, found in different versions over different archaeological finds in different times, and it's it's pretty complicated. It's not like some book was just sitting there. And so, whether this really is the last chapter, or it's just the way it's compiled and becomes the last, I don't know. But it also, uh, it certainly concludes for us <laughs> the, the book, and is really a very important uh, summation um, of Taoist teaching in the entirety of the book. And so the final two lines are about the way of heaven and the way of the sage. And so it's a nice combination also of Whaley and Lao, their two different approaches. So I think we're going to do it that way, in the interest of time and mind and balance. Uh, next time I want to go back to 81 and link it to chapters 1 and 2. And... Uh, basically, again, to focus on the Taoist, uh, the Taoist philosophy of the good and the true and the beautiful.
and the Taoist uh, moral guidance for the sage or the one seeking to live in harmony with Tao and Tao Da. Uh, moral guidance pertaining relationship, um, human relationship. So we've got some essential metaphysics or philosophy on the Taoist understanding of the nature of the good and the true and the beautiful, and then the Taoist understanding or prescription for um, harmony in relationship. Then, finally, the end, the last two lines, heaven's way and the sage's way. The heaven, the sagely way, because that's what this is all about, right? The Tao Te Ching is a is a guidance on the sagely way. <laughs> Tao Ren, the, the way, the, the, uh, the Taoist path, which is the sagely way. Um... Tao Ren Tao. <laughs> uh, this is, you know, this is a, a to me, it's a really lovely pith, uh, Chinese spiritual philosophy. So at the end, we have that finally, the comparison, side by side, the way of heaven, the way of the sage. Um, and, and that's, uh, in many ways, what the entirety of spiritual path is, whether one is coming out of a Chinese Taoist perspective or Indian Buddhist, you know, uh, early in the early Pali, early Buddhist Pali Theravadan perspective, or Ramana Maharshi or Nityananda's uh, Advaita Vedanta type approach, uh, or uh, Spiritism's approach and Chico Javier and um, Alan Kardec and all those folks, <clears throat> and the raw material and the best of Western metaphysics, um, the path. Uh, what appears to be a path, what could be called a path, um, is the return uh, of the spark to its source. And the way the spark of light returns to its source is by um, uh, reshaping itself to be fully in harmony with its source. A, a burnished spark a purified spark of light, soul, beingness, seven chakra, being, um, who has returned to the original vibration, right? Return to source is um, to reharmonize with the original vibration or the original energetic uh, of source. And so that is the way of the sage um, becoming the way of heaven. <laughs> not just conforming ultimately the the way of the sage uh for the <laughs> the perfected sage who's really finished with the whole thing is the way of heaven and um that's what the Taoist perspective shows very clearly so with that said uh i hope this has been useful next time we'll pick up at 81 to conclude and uh link it to chapters one and two so thank you for being here, take good care, and good night.